Welcome to TechnoSocial. My name is Daniel Fraga. And I'm Owen Cox. This is Scouts of the Newsfeed, a weekly show where we're talking about all things shamanic, symbolic, occult, and technological from the weird side of the internet. Consider becoming our patron and uh, donating to help us continue to bump more of this weird and wacky content from the other side of reality all the way to the comfort of your own screen. We hope you enjoy. Patreon.com forward slash The hippies are a success, success, but they're susceptible to wizardry. Okay. Let's talk about how algorithms select people and A-B tests. So they select them based on how they, people's tastes, people's subjective opinions and their perceptions. Um, it's the same old story like the digital reality bubbles from Facebook, where they basically it's possible if you want to advertise something to select who you're advertising to based on demographics, but also psychographics. And um, we were just talking about Glastonbury and this magnificent, beautiful, magical city in England where there's a specific type of person that goes there. It's the hippie who is also into some sort of magic or wizardry. And those are the people that are attracted to there. It's like the city itself is kind of this, psychographic selection mechanism to get, you know, the, 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 the hippies that are the most susceptible to wizardry. And I think there's something to be said about that. Mm. The word I've used a few times in the last few days is it's, it's concentrated. It's mm-hmm. not like say Bristol or a big city where you've got a hippie demographic amongst others. Glastonbury, it's 9,000 people. It is, a lot of, as you said, people susceptible to wizardry, all condensed within one place. And the place itself has this, it's able to mythologize itself or one can mythologize it around oneself because it's in this heartlands of the, uh, the West of England, right next to this big, strange tower, uh, hill glastonbury tour with this tower on the top that dates back a thousand years to some kind of monastic settlement on the top looks like a giant phallus protruding into the sky supposedly this is where the isle of avalon from the arthurian legends was situated that the lands around it were once upon a time all swampland except for this this small bit of land where the town that has now become Glastonbury is founded. Now, whether or not that's actually true, whether or not the Isle of Avalon ever actually had a place or that's something that is just written by the creative storytellers from that time is actually irrelevant compared to the the footprint it leaves on the psyche. Because I felt it while being there. There's a sense of I'm somewhere special. This is out of the ordinary. My friend and I, we drove down there precisely because we know it has that reputation. And there's also the reputation of the music festival, which throws it all on top of something else. But that's that's actually, well, it adds it in, but that's almost like a, a late modernity mass scale consumer phenomenon. I think Glastonbury was weird before then. That's what I'd speculate. You go up and down the high street and there's magic shops and there's occult bookstores left, right, and center is a sort of place where the sort of stores that you'd see in a, um, a typical Western city and think, Oh, wow. Those people are really 
odd they're really going out there putting like something like that their clientele must be a tiny minority here it's actually the norm and you don't see a mcdonald's you don't see a tesco's you don't see a sainsbury's you don't see any of these mainstream high street stores that you see other people it has managed to to carve out quite a a uh, a unique identity in symbolic and uh, in city space or town space mm. here's i'm going to try to connect technology with with ancient myths right here so for a long time it was kind of this uh crossroads of ley lines so for for a long time people would speak about glastonbury for the past thousand years as this magical place this this place where avalon exists the spiritual soul of england the place where the other side connects to our reality and so it has this somehow magical aura to it as it always for for a long time it has they even say that it was joseph of arimathea who took a bit of the cross and brought it over here to to glastonbury uh and i think that that had a role a mimetic compounding sort of it, it just grew and grew in in very much a hyperstitional way meaning a superstition that by being repeated so often just grows so uh, the question of the chicken or, or the egg is less interesting the question of you know what came first is it the place that has a special character and then the people came to it flocking according to that character that magical character or was it that the people started to believe in it and then they attributed that character to the place it doesn't really matter because they're interconnected what's what's interesting is the effect that it's produced today and and precisely today you do see this obviously you know late capitalism touches upon everything so so it it, does, it produces an incentive to pornoflate or to exaggerate some of these more magical weird wacky uh, aspects that we'll you'll obviously see in 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 Glastonbury and there's this eclectic nature of things as well where you will find an eastern oriented magical mystical shop next to a um western occult shop so it's it's this syncretism that has emerged there i think that's very interesting as well because it does retain still today that aspect of being um a place of wonder in the occult and throughout the ages people have lived there people occultists and and magicians and there have have been things happening there and even to this day that can be seen on the people who somehow uh, live in there these people are people who who make sure to display that they are not of the norm and they follow a different set of normativity the way they dress the way they speak the way they look and i think this has to do with how the hyperstition how the collective say um, mimetic complex of glastonbury has an impact on people's imaginations so we were speaking a while ago how glastonbury almost a b selects people and really out of those 10,000 people there's a few of them or there's a higher percentage than would be expected of them that have this greater susceptibility susceptibility to magic to imaginational interference or rather these are people with vivid imaginations people who love to believe who love to play with belief who love to who love the fact that this is the birthplace of avalon or or all those mythologies that are associated to the place and i think that that uh plasticity and flexibility of the imagination sometimes leaves people defenseless especially in the age of of late capitalism because their defenses against the massive onslaught 
of, let's say, imaginational attacks that capitalism throws upon us. But it's also a, perhaps a strength to, from, for them because they have the ability to, to, to navigate magically through their imaginations. Oh, they're rooted in a, in a place and in a long historical tradition where what we can imagine what we're already seeing is the emergence of many digital glass a complex an ecosystem of facebook pages and bloggers and youtubers a reality tunnel because digital is the way to think about digital space is it's just another another frontier it's an it's an extension of the land and it doesn't obey precisely the same spatial rules but it still in many ways behaves like an urbanization there are places that you hang out and you hang out in places with others similar to you the reality bubble effect the echo chamber effect what a place like glastonbury as i said has in its favor is precisely that it's a thousand years old and it is a it's a geographic locality with a certain identity which makes it i would suspect harder to to colonize and, and direct for any one particular end now that's not to say that there wouldn't be a city council and local developers and who have a certain idea or a certain vision of what they want to do with the place. It's also not to say that there aren't certain local powerful occultists and creatives who have a sense of how they would like to, to shape the, uh, the mindscape of, of the place and those who exist around it. I expect that that's what a lot of the, the, the identity of the, of the space is about, but I guess, Perhaps again, what physical space has in its advantage is that if you, if you live there and, and you are from there, then there's a sense of belonging that just comes through that. Whereas in digital space, belonging is purely a property of the ideas that you hold and the way that you express them, the memes that you use, the language that you use. Mm hmm. Feels like um, Glastonbury has almost these <clears throat> anti-fragile properties when it comes to relating to late capitalism. In other words, Glastonbury plus capitalism equals wackier Glastonbury, meaning the imagination gets more volatile. And that's a place where the imagination has always been volatile. So if you add digital, like you were saying, if you add the new avenues through which memes can navigate in digital, to this pre-existing circumstance. And it feels like it's, an, it's a unique uh, and very interesting experience of increasing volatility, increasing wackiness. Um, it's, it's so interesting to do sort of a mimetic anthropology of the place and how it's reacted to uh, the, the, the millennia and the centuries, because it's always had this tradition of witchcraft and of occultism and mysticism and all the ley lines to the point where true and not true, uh, at least for those people who are a little bit more inclined to believe, but let, let's, it's, it's become saturated with such active content, such uh, imaginationally active content that it just becomes this 
heterotopia, literally, a place where the, the old lady that lives in the next house, you look, you know, through the window or something and you see just a bunch of these occult symbols and wow, everyone is like a fairy or just like a mage. And I think that does speak to the plasticity of their imagination that the place generates and I think that that what 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 we're what I'm starting to conclude and to reach the conclusion of is that that's a hyperstition. Hyperstition is a superstition that, by being cast out into the mimetic universe, becomes actual, becomes real. Something that you say a lot, and then people believe in, and becomes real. Uh, and especially in the age of of digital, and I think the Glastonbury has that character as well. It's it's just oh, it's weird and wacky. Then yes, it's weird and wacky, and here's the weird and wacky people, and here's where coherence will break down as opposed to every other place mm, I love of, of, of English cities. Superstition. I love this. What am I thinking? There's a thought here that's coming to me. If I can add yes. this one. Yeah, yeah, yes, I've got it. I've got it. Glastonbury is small, 9,000 people. It's tiny. How many towns really these days do people visit unless you happen to be from that town? Mm. Not many. Or I don't know. In late modernity, in late capitalism, this weird hangover from a time when, we were, when society was structured around agriculture and peasantry. But evolution, the vast majority of humans were well, either sucked in or chose to move themselves to the cities, whichever way you were, the small demographics that remained in the towns. But most towns, like I said, you've never really heard of. Mm -hmm. except, but Glastonbury, and it's intriguing that. We know that typically in modernity, in late modernity, artists, the powerful and the intelligent have tended to gravitate towards cities. And maybe they leave them eventually to go and seek their place in the mountain. But there's still the, the pull towards the city precisely because it's, there's more going on, there's more people, there's more exposure to new ideas, to the kind of the trading outpost effect, the Silk Road effect. Whereas a town, it's just supposedly a little conglomeration that like, like I hate, unless yeah. you've got Glastonbury or somewhere like Glastonbury, which clings to an identity in a way that, as you said, makes it a heterotopia. It's not just some backward place in the middle of nowhere. It's actually somewhere living. It's yeah. still blessed by the gods that once watched over it. It's like the attractor point of a city is um, the ability to make money, the ability to make people, you know, wealth, etc. There there's all sorts of attractor points in cities. And they generally don't really exist in small towns. 
And it feels like Glastonbury's attractor point is purely mimetic, which is notable and exceptional. Meaning you go there because it's Glastonbury, because it's weird and wacky, and there's a different fucking regime of discourse and imagination going on there in 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 vigor and at play. There's a a de facto different regime of discourses and imagination. That's the definition of heterotopia. Uh, that's notable. Like, are there are there other examples of pure mimetic attractor points? I mean, you would you would think the Vatican has one, but I don't want to go to that one because it's also in the middle of a big city. But and because it's also not an attraction like um, like the Grand Canyon because it's just beautiful or some sort of tourist natural attraction for people to hike. Rather, it's uh, people go there because of the memes. Yeah, it's man-made. It's not a natural attraction. I mean, it is beautiful. There are natural attractions. and Perhaps it wouldn't be what it is if it wasn't for specifically the tour. Mm -hmm. But it's also the settlement on top of it. It's the memes that arose from that perhaps pre-existing uh, natural inclination. And uh, yeah, that's why people have to speak about ley lines. But do you, do, do you, can you imagine other places? Can you recall any other places that have just a purely mimetic attractor point that makes them special? I think that there are places that I've experienced similar in India. Mm. However, I know that I'm only able to see India through the lens of a kind of Western spiritual tourism. I mean, admittedly, that also applies to Glastonbury. There's a degree of it being a place that you go to for spiritual tourism mm. or pilgrimage, depending on which way you want to frame it. Um, but there are definitely holy sites in places in India, and I'm sure in other places, it's just India is the only one that I know, hmm. that have a feel to them. The lifeblood of the place is geared towards a certain aesthetic and a certain religious experience and practice, a certain ritualization of day-to-day -day life, which is I'm sure what once upon a time many places all over West and East were. But, well, and they still are to a degree. Even life in London is ritualized, but the ritual is a totally secular, de-aestheticized one. It's the ritual of getting up in the morning and putting on your shirt and your tie and getting on the underground and going into your office, like we discussed last time. Mm -hmm. But I think there is... The point is there's there's a um an otherworldliness, a mysticism, an aestheticism, perhaps even a sense of the barred absolute in pilgrimage to places like these that we're discussing, or spiritual tourism, depending on how you frame it, as I said, that doesn't exist within the mainstream materialist capitalist paradigm, hence the experience of it being a heterotopia and it being rich to go and visit. Now, I think the something else that was coming to my mind, the other place that places or spaces that exhibit this property are festivals, music festivals in particular. Again, hubs of art, intensity, drugs, less rules, sex, late nights, 
otherness, but they're temporary. And they are very, well, not always, but often, again, they're capitalist products. But then Glastonbury itself, in much of India, it's a capitalist product. You can't extricate yourself from the capitalist system, and nor should we in some kind of attempt to be nostalgically traditionalist, I guess. It's like, no, we are... We live within capital. In a context where capitalism recuperates everything and is quite inescapable, it's still uh, interesting to try to denote which are the mimetic attractor points that generate these heterotopic experiences. Obviously, Disneyland comes to mind, festivals come to mind, Las Vegas comes to mind as, as these places of otherness uh, founded purely on the meme or rather on the experience which the discourses can imprint into that place these are places that you go to because they're heterotopias, because they have different rules. It's like a church, it's like a boat, it's like a prison. But uh, when we talk about Glastonbury, I think it's more on the category of Disneyland and of Las Vegas and of, of the festival even. Because it feels like it enters into the experience economy. It's a voluntary exchange as opposed to a forced exchange because the cemetery is also heterotopic, right? It's a place where time is different. A museum, is, uh, the same. A church, the same. But uh, in, the, in the space of Glastonbury, people go there for a regime of imagination, for an experiential, voluntary exchange with the discourses and, and the memes that have there. The people that you meet there are different. The conversations that you have there in Glastonbury, I mean, are different. The books you read and all that context will be different. And so... What, it's, what, is, what is notable is how it uh, seems to have survived, been resilient or even anti-fragile when it was tackled by capitalism. Uh, but maybe that's just really this exception as, as being this weird and wacky place. I also wanted to touch on, on the fact that when you mentioned London and people going into their work dressed in a certain way, doing certain rituals, indeed that is also a a regime of mythology. Uh, it is also a discourse that people follow. It's normality is just another fiction, except it's more consensual and it suits everyone's pragmatic needs, I guess, the best. Um, but there's indeed value and there's indeed sort of, obviously there's gonna be a heterotopia. Every society had them. Every society needs to break up normality with, uh, otherness, other spaces, heterotopos. And if you, if you want to analyze London, you have the office and then you have the bar and then you have the nightclub. Aren't those also ways within the spectrum of, of reality to, to navigate it, to, to, to striate and to regiment it, to say, this is normality, this is exception, this is party. And what's interesting for me fundamentally is really this interplay and the mythology behind each of them. And, uh, you know, cults do this. Cults invent normalities that are so odd for, for someone from the outside, but they become normal for those in the inside. Uh, regimes of being and of imagination that can be, can sustain themselves from within perhaps for, for a long time while still being completely foreign to us or rather to, by seeming so completely strange, this character of strangeness to the 
to the enlightenment-based rational Western onlooker. How strangely do these people live? Hmm. It's, it's a membrane strangeness. Mm -hmm. It's a non-solid boundary that preemptively vets certain typologies, excluding those who won't fit and at least opening space for those who might fit to come in. I mean, I know this very well from the metal scene, yeah. which is what I grew up in, right? It's, it's strange from the outside observer and the number of times <laughs> I've heard people say, but it's just like, how can you listen to that music? It's just so depressing and angry. And it's like, well, kind of, but it's also like a lot of the time when I listen to heavy metal, I don't feel depressed or angry. I just feel that it's an aestheticization perhaps that begins with those emotions that goes much, but builds much more on it. It's mm -hmm. also a praxis of, um, of dressing, of negating something of the normativity of, of regular capitalist values and also a certain mindset like we kind of got into when we spoken to david burke i think a lot of the metal scene there is a sense of a creative do-it-yourself attitude to it it's the scene is sustained by the uh, the input of those who belong to it not by anything that comes from without and of course that's not totally true because it requires venues it requires material spaces it requires contracts with vendors of beer and tobacco and guitars so it's not like a totally it's not a, a spaceship hurtling through space on its own but there is a uh, like i said a, a, there's a, a membrane a non-hard a fluid boundary that allows people to go to go from one side to another. And Glastonbury would have the same thing. I mean, most, if not all urbanizations, if we can call it that, or, or, or institutions yeah, yeah. of organization, little pieces of ontology have membranes. Not everybody wants to come and live in London, although a lot of people do. And that's, that's what you got something to say. Yeah. Let, let me take that and, further it a little bit. Um, Deftones are this band that I like and they have this song called Prayers and Triangles. And in that song, the, the, the lyrics refer to prayers and triangles. So yesterday I was having this idea as I was entering into this private heterotopic space between myself, my headphones and the bottle of wine. And I thought that that triangulation sometimes speak, reminds me of dialectics or rather it reminds me of how the process of the evolution of culture goes on. Now, what does a heterotopia do? It denies the outside and it invents a new inside. Maybe it's an antithesis, maybe it's a synthesis of something else, whatever. There's a relationship that happens. And if you look at the whole spectrum of subcultures and reality tunnels and meme plexes and how they connect with each other, sometimes by denial, sometimes by synthesizing, sometimes by responding, sometimes by emerging uh, tabula rasa, what they event all in they do as a group, especially in our times these days, is it feels like they are part of the articulation of something from the point of view of meaning. Because bear in mind, all of these have one common denominator, which is humans. It's always the humans that create these spaces. And the, the even further down, the common denominator, the lower, is really the experience of 
going through different discourses, different rules, experiencing a variety of different things. So here's a thought for you. What's accomplished in the, in the sort of, if you look at history as the phenomenology of spirit, as what happens and how spirit unfolds as it seeps down the dimensions, what happens across these different subcultures? Here's a hypothesis. Maybe it's really about having maximum or at least sufficiently broad fragmentation of realities so that they can play with each other, interact with each other. Some will veer off the, the, the edges, some will be recuperated into the mainstream, but there's a certain teleology, there's a certain movement, right? Glastonbury today is not Glastonbury a thousand years ago. It is placed in a time and a space and it, it uses certain ideas, it speaks English, etc. So my whole point being, it feels like there's a driving. It, it is, there's definitely a, a continual synthesizing of something. Does this make sense? It's like the big other throughout history that, that Zizek and Kadal speak about. Yes. Yes, it does make sense. There's a sort of a gravitational relationship between reality. I like that. Gravitation. That is exactly what it is. Like mimetic gravitation. Maybe we should coin that phrase. Hmm. There's a way in which certain memeplexes at a point in time become attractors. Yeah. They grab something in the collective psyche. I mean, take something. Extinction Rebellion would have been meaningless 50 years ago, 100 years ago. But at this point in time, it becomes, no, oh, we mm -hmm. like that. And there's also the strange thing. I, I noticed it the other day when someone posted something about this in an email thread. Extinction Rebellion uses XR as its, um, what's the word for that? When you shorten two words to letters, I've forgotten the name. Uh, acronym. Yes. But you also use XR for altered reality, right? Extended reality. Extended reality. Isn't that bizarre that the acronym pops up twice in two different places, but both very contemporary phenomenon? You know, I was listening to, there's that brilliant clip from the movie Examined Life. I was watching it yesterday with Zizek, Slavoj Zizek walking around a... Uh, a trash site a, 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 where the a landfill site talking about how this rather than ecology, which it has this kind of nostalgic spiritualization of forest and river and mountain. He says like, no, a truly radical uh, ecology would find a way to spiritualize precisely the trash ground, the ugly mm -hmm. shit, the regurgitated, the unwanted parts of modernity, the parts mm -hmm. that we try to, to dig away and chuck in the ground. What led me to that? Where was I going with that? If I may uh, interject, yeah, go, go. it feels like uh, it could do that, it would do that, but there wasn't sufficient mimetic ground before that. So they are actually going, f they're the immediate descendants from a modernist uh, ecological, Cartesian 20th century point of view to worship the trash as something that might have its own spiritual value would require like a bunch of steps before that, that just, I believe it's, it's natural that it did not end up that way because the mimetic landscape would not allow for such a rapid and extreme mutation. 
if you look at that which XR is the antithesis antithesis of um, does that make sense? It's it's embedded in a context in a system, and that's why it's like that. It's the next logical step. Well, I remembered the point that why I wound up wound up at that was he makes the point in this clip uh, again that ecology, environmental awareness is he predicts to become the new big other that and it kind of already is with Greta Thunberg being its first screeching prophet. And not only this, it becomes the ground for a conservative moralism about the way we are in the world. Mm-hmm. Oh, we, we developed this, this, this. Oh, but you shouldn't do that because it goes against these, these laws of ecology. And I suppose why I was getting interested is, again, if we're kind of trying to join the dots between these two memes of XR, XR is kind of one of the uh, one of the cults of the new god, both in the sense of environmentalism, but also in the extension and creation and projection of reality. Mm. Look, even Eric Davis, who, by the way, we need to, to, to chat to, says that and, and analyzes from a very interesting point of view that in the uh, around the year zero in the Roman Empire, there were a bunch of, in the first century, there was a bunch of cults emerging, different cults. And, and that just tends to happen every so often whenever the human psychological climate collectively gets to that phase, that phase of, you know, fragmenting old ideas and going into the new ones. And just like, just like nature does, it comes up with a fuckload of options. And then from then there's going to be one or two that actually stick. And that sticking is quite important because it does not hinge it hinges on, 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 on factors that are logistical, tactical, pragmatic, strategic, that have to do with how it relates to the landscape of the earth and the landscape of the psychology of humans and to the broader economy of the planet earth. And that said, we're also in a similar stage. We're also in that stage today. Um, you mentioned that XR is, is one. We mentioned Glastonbury. What a remarkable other one, because it's kind of this syncretic coalescing of all of these. You will find books about uh, Glastonbury is syncretic in this in this remarkable sense. It's so postmodern. It's so everything at once. It's where you'll find things about Extinction Rebellion and New Age hippies, and then next shelf you'll find a book about esoteric Hitlerism in the same place. And that's something as well that's notable, meaning that if we are now living in a repetition of the first century of our era where there was a fuckload of cults and different attempts at at creating a new, you know, regime of mythology for for everyone to live under. Then today we're also living in that, but today we have digital and we have way more people than we ever had. And we have way more and better communication than we ever had. Um, And that just adds to the volatility of it all. That just adds to the liquefaction of it all, the lack of boundaries, membranes become they disappear, you know, things overlap a lot. And I think that's, that's, would you agree with that? I don't know if membranes, membranes have dissolved, but new ones emerge. That's the thing. I don't think if it's, 
it's totally possible to just be totally membrane free. I think that is kind of the dream of the enlightenment rational position that mm. we can get rid of all membranes. And then the only vector for moving through space is talent. And everybody judges everybody else based on a pure rationality and rationality. The only membrane of rationality is, does it obey the laws of rationality? Right. Which again, there's its own membrane, right? But it attempts to, it, it's a, it's an attempt at a universalist membrane, right? Because supposedly everybody is capable of rationality. And further than this, everybody is capable of the same rationality because there is only one rationality. And that is the rationality that fundamentally can be discovered with the laws of empiricism. Mm -hmm. But to that point, there's a regime of juxtaposition and acceleration that while it may not have disappeared completely with the membranes, it has, it has made them more permeable and more easily and quickly uh, understandable. So, you know, I could read now a book on um, one topic and just the next five minutes, I'll read another book on something completely different right now because I have a computer, because I have that support, because I have the internet. And so perhaps what the wired brain is teaching us is uh, not the dissolution of membranes, you're right, maybe an accelerated juxtaposition or, or really uh, this weird syncretism of everything where, every, where, where everyone's an eclectic and then there's, people have their own causes, their own reality bubbles. It's maybe the atomization that's, that we were used to speaking about where people are more and more atomized, but from the mimetic point of view, they're more and more spread out because we have access to everything. Oh, and that's a good thing, said the, said the moderns and why not? And the postmoderns came up and they completely fucked it up and mixed it up in the in the most sometimes most absurd ways sometimes uh, beautiful ways and i think that's the condition of the 21st century is like the postmodern condition still exists and it's even more interconnected and digital it has not been over it will continue and because the human mind as as this constant has only one point of view or rather has a phenomenology phenomenology has a way of perceiving <clears throat> that will reduce all the complexities of the world and we'll have to make it pass through here. And as such, that's why things sometimes seem so disjointed, juxtaposed, the relationships of topology, Glastonbury, and you drove there from London and you go there and it's this holy place. And in the afternoon you have a pint and you watch the game. It's like, what weird juxtaposition is this? Um, and I think that's our condition. It's really this navigation through heterotopia after heterotopia. <laughs> Yes, yes. But it is a, um, it's an outgrowth of the postmodern condition because it's not just nodes, nodes, nodes everywhere with no, no patterning to them. There is patterning to them. I'm a particular type of person. I grew up listening to heavy metal. I do this yeah. podcast. I have certain collaborators we speak to regularly and I went to Glastonbury. I know people who wouldn't do that. And that's the, that's the, hegemony of the theological construct of identity and individualism because we all do that what's the number one praying or rather religious activity that humans do is the cult of the self is to reconnect to religare all the things that you see out there to the identity to the self oh i'm a person that does this i'm a person that does that thus the construct of, of identity emerges but what we're learning as well today is that that's where it's becoming so digitally accelerated and the amount of memes that every identity witnesses is so large that it kind of reaches a critical breaking point. In other words, might we be seeing the end of identity in the future? Some people argue that. Some people argue that 
you can spoof the identities online so easily. You can change the the route of identity so easily. Identity is often used, uh, you know, psychographically to manipulate us to to choose and to analyze who we are. So really, even even Glastonbury, it's identity becoming so juxtaposed with all the wacky stuff from all over the world. I think this really speaks to the increased volatility, volatility, increased symbolic saturation, increased uh, churn on this religious and uh, reality maintenance effort that humans have to do, which is to, to place themselves in the world and to place themselves in relation to other things, which is the, the basic religious act that humans do. If you think if you think in the past, maybe there was family, there's God, there's the nobles, and that's how you exist. That's your identity and your place. Today, it's much different. It's much harder. Well, identity, we know, is a fantasy construct. What it's based upon are flows, and flows have a tendency to bounce from certain attractors to certain attractors. It's if you pour water you stand at the top of a hill and pour water down, it's likely to flow a certain way going on through certain points based on different features of the landscape. And then there's an attempt to essentialize that flow and give it an identity that is distinct from the contours of the landscape around it. That is what happens when we come up with this statement and we say, I did this or Glastonbury is this. Glastonbury is, it's a word that we come up with. It's, it's an eternalization. I do talk about the dialectic of the eternalization and mobilization. It's attempt to, to fix something because we can't help, we can't communicate, we can't relate without there being an essentialization of the flow because we don't see in flows and we can't communicate flows. It would be far too fucking complicated but we can name them. But then the problems for us as, as living beings is we attempt to clutch to these, to these eternalizations of flows. And for good reason, because they give us an ability to, to experience it. They give us safety. They give us existential safety. There's a reason why the psyche is structured this way. It prevents us from, from descending into psychosis and it takes a lot of spiritual practice to get out of that. It's why psychedelics can be so dangerous because you can fucking unhinge yourself from your essentializations. And if you don't have the degree of integration and I think comfort within yourself, then you just go psychotic because all of a sudden you can see the flows as flows. Mm. Let me just quickly interject something in there. That's precisely why, Here's a uh, my opinion when I went to Glastonbury was that I was seeing a lot of people that had those eyes, and what are those eyes? In my view, they they looked they looked detached from reality. It feels that they, 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 you know Deleuze speaks about schizoanalysis, and Nick Land was the guy who was like, in order to break free from the Oedipal prison of staticness and of these eternalizations, I'm gonna smoke meth and look at numbers on a computer, and and and. It's rough because you do not ever live free of these constructs. That's the prison of the body, the prison of gender, the prison of uh, constructs. It's kind of this triune clutch 
we cannot live without names. You know, I've been Daniel for 28 years. That's an internalization if, I, if there's any. So, but yet we are stuck to that. So there's this really weird dual relationship. One of them is identity pulls us towards the staticness, towards this eternalization, this Apollonian rigidness. And then the other one, there's obviously the other insect, this Dionysian fucking dissolution that wants to pull it free and, and break it free. And maybe whatever happens to that freedom, maybe it's schizoanalysis, maybe it's schizophrenia, maybe dissolution in the womb of Sivel. But this said, if you look at Glastonbury and what it does, and if you look at the postmodern condition and, and how we ourselves relate to the eternalistic and the mobilistic, I think they all map perfectly onto each other. There's a, I think they exist in the dual system, pulling, pulling us in different directions. One wants to rigidify, one wants to li liquefy. And uh, you know, the more that the engine of post-capitalism wants to liquefy and change and volatilize, there will also always be the other pendulum, the other, the other, there will always be gain to be had by creating more rigid constructs a little bit. But uh, these constructs are not what we are in a way. We are flow and we are mind. So in that sense, we're originally more magical and Dionysian that we give reality credit for. Hmm. I like when you said about the uh, the dead eyes. I, I noticed that as well. Now you mentioned it. Or I don't know if you said dead eyes, but there's something. That's, yeah, something like that. I don't know, psycho-spiritual burnout, perhaps? Completely. There's, there's the metaphor of becoming awakened, right? But then there's also this thing where you meet people who have done a load of psychedelics. Typically, it seems to be people who have been, I've met people who have done a lot of psychedelics and they've, they've blasted themselves out a bit. But perhaps in glass, I, I'm sure the same thing can come from occult practice. I'm sure the same thing can come from Eastern meditation as well, which incidentally is, is one of the things I wonder if at some point we're going to run into problems because the West has been harvesting meditation for mindfulness and teaching it to people. Is that all of a sudden going to have some, some unintended consequences when people realize that actually mindfulness isn't about calming your mind down. It's, <laughs> it's about calming your mind down so that everything that's underneath the surface can come up. So that you are primed for colonization. Steps of initiation include that. They include putting the person in a volatile, susceptible state. Maybe psychedelics, meditation, theatrics, heterotopias, they can do that. They'll put you in a volatile, maybe vulnerable state. Um, and it's very easy for someone or even randomness and chance to come in after that and to... Uh, Put you in a place that is kind of worse than the one that you were before, meaning, you know, the imaginational structure that was there before and that you, some people fought so hard to get away from might be better than the one they end up afterwards, which is why being a magician is one of the hardest things in the world or, or being of that temperament because these people are fucking with their own sense of identity and of self. Um, and it's a dangerous thing because you fuck with the self, it, it's everything, it's everything. So there's definitely something to be said about that. Even Alistair Crowley finished his life in such a state. So many such people of such temperament have found themselves in this conundrum. The, 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 the underwater, sometimes the level of the water just rises. And if you have no boat, if you don't care for your boat, and if your meditation practices tell you burn the boat, 
I'd be, you know, it's dangerous. Absolutely. This is why I'm actually increasingly wary of occultism. Yeah. It's good. It's an attractor. It's like, Ooh, fucking sexy, powerful. I'm going to be able to do things with my perception, but then it's like, Oh shit. Maybe actually that's not a, uh, <laughs> maybe that's not a good thing. Maybe we should be very fucking careful. But incidentally, what we play with. Yeah, completely. I completely agree. Uh, and also in like this weird ironic twist of fate, the path of techno capitalism and the war machine since 10,000 years has been one, has been one of, or at least the one that we see now has been always processed through the manipulation of being and intelligence. So you could say that the occultists are the kamikaze soldiers of, of at the front, at the, at the vanguard, going through the dangers themselves first to explore. The artists do this. They scout the newosphere. But then it ends up seeping down into the everyday reality. And we live in the age of, you know, experience capitalism, limbic capitalism. You go to the most bland corporate events. People are speaking about VR and technology and the experience really changing with marketing and public relations, the perception of people and all this jazz. Doesn't that descend precisely from early 20th century uh, occultism, from Crowley and Crowley to the Beatles and from the Beatles to whoever, you know, person is, is actually speaking from any marketing department? The answer is yes. Um, so ironically, while this is such a dangerous task for the individual, for the reckless individual to perform, Ironically, that's also kind of a path that capitalism uses to reinvent itself every single time collectively with more scaffoldings, much slower and at a global scale. But it's the same process, the reinvention of being, the emergence of being out from itself in a, in a very dialectical, triangular way. There's the yearning for the heterotopia, right? And you already spoke about London is structured around work and bar and nightclub. It's the same thing as that there's... There's the yearning for the place that is other than day to day. Perhaps it's the space of pathic experience. And so that's why we, um, we watch Netflix or we watch porn, whatever it is. We go into something where there is otherness. And I think precisely you drove at the point. It's fascinating, actually, that we kind of, although we admit the existence of other spaces, we also disavow the existence of very other spaces, if that makes sense. So we admit the existence of, of TV and theater and nightclubs, but we don't admit the existence of satanic ritual. We don't admit the experience of, of divine possession. Not necessarily that divine possession is something that you want, but we don't admit that it exists. We simply pathologize it and say that's a uh, that's a psychotic break. I mean, that's that's one lens of describing it, but it it nullifies it. But precisely, you drive it with with XR with altered reality. There's this creative longing to do something radically new with perception. I mean, even ontological design, right? In a sense, that's that's what's going on. But there's also well. I don't know if there's a, um, a denial of the traditions. I would expect actually that a lot of the people at the leading edge of this stuff 
are at the very least plugged into meditation and yoga precisely because that's trendy at the moment. So they have a taste of what's on the wind or psychedelics as well. You know, Silicon Valley, high openness, progressive types. They've dabbled in their Eastern spirituality and in their psychedelics enough to intuit that there's something, there's something more. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the idea that's coming to my head now is what Bard has said again about the Bard absolute, about the fact that our societies kind of denied the existence of this place. And yet we yearn for it. But the problem is if we're going to try and democratize the Bard absolute and create this radically other place for everybody, that's <laughs> divine oh. possession for everybody on the street. No, there was a reason why the shamans do it. There's a reason why the priests do it. And the reason why you have to go and pay your dues to the priests and the shamans before they will tell you what you want to hear. And most of the time, if they're a good priest or a good shaman, they'll tell you the exact opposite of what you want to hear because they'll be trying to fragment your, your tiny little sense of what you think is right in the world and who you are. And that's the greatest gift, although it's also the most painful thing when you receive it. But we don't want the gift of hard truths. We want the gift of you can do anything and you can be anything because life is about fun and pleasure and enjoyment. And that's Mm, the AR XR world. It's going to be either boring or ugly if it continues along this trajectory. Mm -hmm. That's a regressive occultism or rather this, this capitalism light version of, um, occultism and uh, spiritual practices being applied to these regressive events because regression is easier to monetize. You know, people will pay for that extra bit of comfort. And if that extra bit of comfort can be McDonald'ified and made into cheeseburgerified, if you can actually make it so fucking simple and perfect, like a cheeseburger, people will want it. And uh, it might happen. There's, 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 the landscape is opening up in the future in AR and XR and AI <clears throat> just very much in the same way that the landscape once opened for McDonald's drive throughs and extra money to buy fast food and the willingness to have it. Um, whereas the reality of it, the real uh, sort of solid reality of it is that if you blast off too far, um, people might be looking at something so deep and horrifying that that's why the absolute is barred because it requires a certain uh, statute, stature of human to, uh, to look at. Um, that's what differentiates the greater people from the lesser people or from the people who are the common man, not lesser, the common man from the uncommon man. History is littered with such examples. Um, and I think that in the, in the next decades, we're going to go through a similar type of, of change. The opening up of the vistas of psychology, its interaction with capital, with memetic dynamics, spirituality, and maybe the portal will open up in Glastonbury. I'll tell you what I think should happen with both these ontological technologies is the same thing that should happen with with drugs interestingly because they are actually in terms of the phenomenology that they they instigate very similar they should be not made illegal 
because that's just fucking childish. That's like, mm-hmm. mommy, daddy, tell me what I can't do. But they should be licensed. There should be hubs, monasteries that you go to and you have to get in and there's different tiers and you're allowed to go off into, into altered reality. You're allowed to have mushrooms if the shamans or if the shamanic technologists agree that you are of a capable standpoint to do it. And if not, then it's see you later, come back next year. Fucking hell, man. That's, so That's not what's going to happen because we're wedded to the idea that everybody should be able to do anything. But that is both what a sensible drug policy looks like and what a sensible technology policy looks like. That would be perhaps sensible. That would be a way to keep it more or less stable. It would invent these social media cults, real life monasteries where the cult leaders were to would basically abuse their people using LSD and all that type of shit. This already kind of happens in some places uh, that are kind of preying on this temperament of people, people with higher openness and willingness to experiment. Uh, that's one scenario. The other scenario for me is the emergence of these new ontological technologies have such a disruptive impact on so many industries, the least of which is the entertainment and self-exploration, the least of which being that the others are so much larger and much more important. And so what I think these ontological technologies will do is they will break up the current world order especially in the realm of the newosphere, in the realm of psychology and of memetics, there will be a lot of strife. And then another order will be established, another sort of regime. I think we're currently actually undergoing something like that. When you see China fucking with social media to fuck with the American minds, not only China, pretty much everyone. Um, You start to see that. You start to see different... Differential access to technology and expertise having an impact on uh, the population's ontology. It's not a matter, it never was a matter of uh, how we should regulate it for the every man. This, I feel like that's such a, such, a, such a social democratic fantasy. I feel like it's going to be decided as it always was by uh, competition at the vanguard. The people who are precisely at the edge between the shaman, the king who, who hears the whisper of the shaman, and teaches it to his army. That's that's gonna, and then that's gonna be the next hundred years. If I had to say, mm, yes, I mean, I think you're right. Like, I, I think what I suggested is, like I said, a best case scenario. I don't think that's what's going to happen because what it requires is kings. Well, it requires shamans who actually have enough influence over kings, over the business leaders actually suggest to them don't just use your army aka your business to maximize capital here's a gun trying to shoot too many people with it like competition is gonna it's not gonna let that happen exactly it's because if you don't shoot as many people as you can then someone else will come along and shoot as many people as they can so we're it's what's the word it's um i can't remember but it's the arms race thing there's a word for it systems theory that i can't remember uh symmetric schemogenesis or something like this like nice you draw your sword so i have to draw my sword you you build 10 guns so i have to build 10 guns yeah nice at the same applies to capitalism someone commented in one of our videos 
when we were talking about fourth generation warfare, something that I had read but completely forgotten, which is this guy called Rao, who's, who publishes like amazing stuff, um, a cryptocurrency and all sorts of interesting things, draws a parallel between management in business and the war machine, meaning that the advances that the war machine implements in it will be basically one generation ahead of the advances that business implements in itself and management implements in itself. Ways of philosophies, technologically aided uh, ways to fucking rule and, and govern the system. And the war machine is basically one sl small step behind the innovators who are in turn one small step behind the pure vanguard, which are these, these entities, these, these, these humans who are really going at the edge, these kamikazes of the newosphere, people who throw themselves out there and somehow have a talent to channel it back to the rest of us because not everyone is positioned in the same place of the human spectrum. If this is the vanguard and if this is future, some people are placed closer to the edge after which, you know, it's horrifying, please, you know, unless you're an avatar for, for, for some sort of God, but everyone is kind of placed in, in different stages. You know, you have the, the art here and a little bit before you probably have the, the innovators, perhaps before you have the war machine and capitalism just immediately after that, because competition is, is in, inescapable. And then you have everyone and pop culture and uh, you know, Cartesianism is the de facto rule still today in the age of the, of, of the digital. It will no longer be, but it's going to take a bit because it, it seeps down to through the human population, through the structure of society. It's sort of a trickle-down innovation economy, trickle-down metaphysics. Hmm. Should we like wrap it there, brother? Yeah, let's wrap it. Nice one. Catch you next time on Scouts of the News. We hope you enjoyed the show. Consider becoming our patron and helping us put out more content like this. Patreon.com forward slash Techno Social.